0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist, the magical mystery tour called Life, Matthew Diviaz. Tonight's guest is Zach Ford. Zach hails from Cameron Park, California, and serves as the chapter leader for the Society of American Baseball Researchers. And he also serves on the advisory committee of the Pacific Coast League Historical Society. Two months ago, Zach released his first book, Called Up. Ball Players Remember Becoming Major Leaguers, a moving work where baseball players share with Zach their memories of the twists and turns they experienced and the slings and arrows they endured on the journey of becoming a Major League Baseball player. Zach, welcome to the show. It's an honor and privilege to have you here. I'd like to start off by asking you, when did you conceive of the idea to write Called Up?
1: Well, I, I really came up with the idea about four years ago. Um... But but I've always been interested in the human interest side of baseball, the feelings and emotions behind baseball stories. And I don't think there are very many baseball stories that have more feeling and emotion than the call-up stories. I think uh, many baseball fans get wrapped up uh, in those call-up stories each year. There's always those viral videos of somebody calling their mom after, you know, six, seven, eight years in the minor league, something like that. A lot of ups and downs. And uh, you know those, those videos go viral, maybe those stories catch a little bit of uh, attraction. Um, but you know, beyond that, there hadn't been a book on it. And I thought, you know, you know the, I, I, I did some research. I thought, okay, well, there's got to be a book on call-up experiences. And there wasn't. So um, I kind of thought, you know, um, I might as well be the guy. So, Came up with the idea, um, and I, again, I don't think that there's, uh, other than maybe if you hit a home run to walk off Game 7 uh, of World Series, uh, I don't think there are many more uh, emotional moments than uh, when you reach that uh, goal of becoming a Major League Baseball player. To capture that in, uh, in text form in a book, uh, I'm just very thankful that so many ball players were willing to share their story with me.
0: How many players were you able to interview for this book?
1: I actually ended up interviewing 149 players. Wow. Uh, when, I, when I started the project, my goal was 75 to 100. Um, I was able to exceed that fairly quickly, came up with the goal of 150. Um, when I started talking to publishers, publishers uh, were uh, interested in a book uh, that was closer to probably around 90,000 words, so to give you a little bit of context, Yeah. each story on average was somewhere a little less than 900 words. Hmm. So, doing the math, I'm looking at around 100 stories, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, uh, you know, <clears throat> go to Sabre 50 in in Baltimore, communicate with uh, uh, McFarland, who ended up being the publisher, and uh, they, uh, you know, wanted me to be around 90,000 words. So. Uh, doing the math there, that's about a hundred, um, about a hundred stories. So I reached out, um, did a couple rounds of requests for ball players to sign releases, saying I could, you know, use permission. Cause I was green, I didn't think about that originally, um, and I ended up with 109 releases. Um, so there are 109 stories in the book, and uh, I got permission from McFarland to go up to 95,000 words. And Matt, I'm not kidding you. Um, I typed in that uh, I, I copied and pasted my preface and my introduction, which I wrote in separate word documents. And when I pasted that into the manuscript, it was exactly 95,000 words, 109 <laughs> stories. Wow. I, it, it was almost scary how perfect everything uh, fell into place. But uh, I guess it was just meant to be 109 players are in the book. Beautiful.
0: Now, of those 109 players, anyone notable? Anything? Any headline players, anyone that we know about? If so, can you tell us which ones?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have players that spend some considerable time in the big leagues. Uh, guys like Bobby Gritch, mm. uh, who's in the Team Hall of Fame of both the Orioles and the Angels. Uh, a great long career, uh, like Jerry Royce, uh, oh. over 20 years in the uh, in the big leagues. Um, and over a few hundred wins, 200 plus wins. Um, but for the most part, a lot of these ball players are the lesser known guys. Mm. Um, I mean, there are some ball players, you know, number one draft picks, high picks. Uh, but what I found when I was talking to these ball players, the lesser known guys, um, I, I don't want to say that they necessarily have the better stories, but they ha- often have the stories that have the most layers. Mm. Uh, you know, the guy who, was a a 20th round pick or a 30th round pick um who or an undrafted free agent um who spent six seven eight years in the minor leagues but they finally achieved that goal of reaching the major leagues uh you know the journey involved with injuries trials tribulations um those stories of the lesser known guys uh tended to resonate with me a little bit more Um, and I do think that overall, I think that those are the stories that have the most layers and most complexity in the book, um, uh, mm-hmm. and the most feeling and emotion because these guys, um, you know, if you're a, a first round pick and you make your second spring training, you know, you may still have a good story there. Uh, but you know, I, I, like I said, I tend to gravitate to some of those guys, uh, the lesser known guys who, um, spent more time in the minor leagues, went up and down. And, uh, you know, by the time they actually got to the big leagues, it was, it was their game seven of the World Series. It was their Hall of Fame speech to take that mound for the first time or to take the, you know, get in the batter's box for the first time. Uh, those are, again, the stories I resonated to the most.
0: When you were assembling all the interviews, you know, transcribing them all and assembling the book, were there, are there common themes when when these players tell you their story, are there commonalities? You know, things that they encounter that you know it, it, it's like, this is what happens when you become a major leaguer. Anything comes that comes to mind? Any commonalities?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, there are definitely some recurring themes and things that change. From you know, I interviewed the first ball player; his first his debut is you know, nineteen sixty one. The most recent debut in the book is 2018. So you have what fifty seven years of debuts there. Yeah. Um so there are different things. You know, obviously things are gonna be different uh earlier on in those, you know, those stories in the sixties or seventies or eighties, etc. But overall, as far as the generational, you know, similarities go, it was really um the the mental strength. Mm. Obviously, becoming a ball player, you have to exhibit some impressive, some you know, unhuman-like uh, physical, you know, abilities. Sometimes, but it was really those ball players that were able to uh, focus on the mental side of the game. The the and it was primarily too uh, with the pitchers. Mm just being able to lock in and focus. And I remember when I you know, was interviewing players when I was a kid, uh, one of the guys that I interviewed, um, he told me um, that he didn't hear the crowd oftentimes. He didn't hear or see the crowd. And I'm thinking that's a bunch of baloney. Like how do you get that focused and that locked in that you can't hear the crowd? There are a lot of players that do that. Mm. Um they're able to, and there's that one scene you may be familiar with uh, in uh, For Love of the Game where Billy Chappell, you know, Kevin Costner's on the mound. Yeah. And he says, he says, clear the mechanism. And he focuses in, the crowd becomes white noise, a yeah. blur. Yeah. There were multiple players, there are multiple players that said that that's, that actually is very similar to how it works out on the mound. Um, which is amazing to me, like I said, to be that locked in, um, to have that much middle mental strength, um, to where you're able to control all your anxieties and just concentrate on the task at hand was very impressive to me.
0: Well, don't laugh. Steve Carlton, he would add to the effect. He would also put cotton in his ears just to make, add, make sure he didn't hear anything at all. Yeah. So he could really focus in a good lefty and all that. Now, when, when you were when you were listening to their stories, were there any major surprises uh, that you encountered when you were listening to these players' stories? Any surprises? I
1: mean, I mean, I wouldn't say uh, necessarily any kind of surprises, um, but I would say um, some of these guys just the amount of dedication and perseverance that they had to endure. Uh, through the minor leagues to reach the major leagues, that was something that was extremely impressive to me. Um That was just really surprising to me that you are just so focused on that, on that, on that goal that you're, you know, riding minor league buses for a decade, but you get your cup of coffee and for the rest of your life, you get to say that you're a former major league baseball player.
0: Now, when they were telling you the stories, did, they, did you get the sense that they always believed? Because you talk about the mental aspect, the mental toughness aspect, you know, the mental focus of it. Did these players that you talked to, these 109 guys, they always believed that eventually they were going to make it? Or when the magic moment came, was it a bit of a shock or surprise or anything like that? What was your sense of it when listening to these guys?
1: I think in order to make it, you have to have a sense of confidence that you can do it. But obviously, within that journey, you're going to have moments in which you doubt yourself. Mm. Um, So, you know, one of the things that was, you know, very, um, you know, kind of interesting to me was the humbling aspect of entering pro ball. Um, You know, there are some stories of number one draft picks in this book where, you know, they said that they got humbled real quick. Mm. Um, because they said, look, if you are a number one drafted, you probably dominate in high school.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you go on to college, you probably dominate in college.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. And then you enter pro ball and a lot of those guys, they're at your level. You're competing against a bunch of uh, folks uh, that are, um, you know, that also dominated high school, that also dominated college. So, a lot of them have that kind of like that, uh, that come to Jesus moment, I guess you could say, uh, where they get a little bit humbled and they have to kind of regroup and go, okay, well, if this is going to happen, I'm going to have to, you know, push a little bit more. I'm going to have to, you know, humble myself. And a lot of these guys, they did that and they, they focused on the mental side of the game and, uh, ultimately, you know, obviously became big leaguers and some of those ball big leaguers you know, that may have struggled in five-plus years in the minor leagues still ended up with a decade or more in the major leagues once they figured it out.
0: When you were talking to these players, were of the 109, how many, quote-unquote, had to make it like a – because sometimes you hear stories they had to learn – like a pitcher had to learn a new pitch or uh, – a player had to, a, a, a batter, you know, a, a, not a pitcher, but, a, you know, a position player had to learn a new play, a new position. And that was eventually what helped them, you know, make the majors. How many of those guys that you talked to had to make some type of an adjustment, either as a pitcher, learning a new pitch or whatever, or you'd be, you know, instead of being a starter, become a closer or having to learn to play a new position? How many had to make a significant
1: adjustment? Quite a few especially Mm. with pitchers. Yeah. I mean, uh, going in, I mean, most pitchers are going to be starting pitchers, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, if you're uh, in high school or whatnot, most, the most part, uh, those people started off as starting pitchers. Uh, um, Oftentimes, folks that become really pitchers in the major leagues started off in the minor leagues as starting pitchers as well. Uh, So that's one thing. uh, One of the adjustments. Um, Also, um, like one of the stories I can th- I'm thinking of right now is Jeff Nelson. Mm. Jeff Nelson, um, who was a you know a long time uh, reliever, uh, had some great years uh, with the Yankees when they were winning all those World Series uh, in the '90s. Uh, great years with the Mariners, some other teams as well. Uh, but a lot of people don't people will look at Jeff Nelson and they'll go, "This guy spent 15 years in the big leagues." Yeah. Well he he didn't get to the major leagues until i think it was like his eighth year Jeez, this is like his eighth or ninth year in the minor leagues and during that time um he was really struggling i think he spent like four or five years before he even got beyond a ball um which i mean if you think about the statistically speaking how many ball players would have spent that time in a ball that even get a cup of coffee in the major leagues, Jeez. let alone 15 years. Yeah. But when he, he, he got to the point where, you know, they said, okay, well, we're going to have to do something, you know, make a change. So they turned him into a closer, uh, they turned into a relief pitcher. Uh, I started having some success there. Uh, and then, um, he started throwing three quarter, started throwing a, you know, not over the top, uh, just kind of played around with his delivery. And it was like a, a lightning bolt just went off. It was just, it was like flipping a switch. Yeah. Um, he was in the major leagues within a year. Wow. Spent fifteen years there.
0: What were the com? What are, what, when? All these players. What were the common obstacles they had to face during the journey to make it to the majors? What What are some common obstacles they had to endure?
1: Well, I think um, you know, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, just the you know the. Um, uh, the acceptance of you know that you know the ball players that i'm talk- that i'm competing with against in the minor leagues are, are you know better than the ones i faced in high school or better than the ones that I faced in 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 college so they, they, they do that um some of the other things that you know they would obviously have to face um you know it, i'm trying to think of you know like jeff Nelson situation where um you know just making that change um but a lot of the ball players um you know when they you know when they entered uh, pro ball um they just really kind of um you know faced you know a, a realization of okay well this is going to need a lot of focus i'm going to have to be dedicated and, you know, a lot of these ball players, they went up and down. They had injuries. Um, they had success here, maybe lack of success there. Um, it's There's so many different journeys, so many different layers of these stories. Um, but uh, each one is uniquely different, which is uh, really, really amazing. There's 109 stories in the book. Um, they're all about the same theme, but they're all uniquely different.
0: Okay, Zach, please, let's talk about yourself now. Please tell our all listeners, where were you born and raised?
1: Uh, I was born in the Central Valley of uh, California, uh, but uh, for the last, uh, I don't know, since elementary school, I've lived in the Sacramento area of California.
0: So you, you, you even in college, you, you, you went to college in the greater Sacramento area, is that correct?
1: I did. Uh, community college here in the Sacramento State. So. Uh, with the exception of when I lived in uh, Central Valley as a young boy, um, I've been within probably about 45 minutes um, of my current location uh, the majority of my life.
0: As a fellow brother a member of Sabre, uh, of the Society of American Baseball Researchers, is there a certain period of baseball history that you love to focus on?
1: Well, I mean, the Society of American Baseball Research is going to be inclusive of all all areas of baseball, all all different interests. Uh, me personally, uh, my interest, uh, you know, is you know the, the human interest side um, of uh, of stories. I love first person narratives, uh, but I'm also very interested in the old Pacific Coast League. My great uncle uh, played in the league in the 30s and 40s, um, and then also uh, you know the San Francisco Giants are my team.
0: Okay. Now, you you are you serve, as I stated earlier, you serve on the advisory committee of the Pacific Coast League Historical Society. D- can you tell our listeners about that? What does is, what is the Historical Society do? Where do they convene? How big
1: yeah. is that? So the, uh, yeah, so the Pacific Coast League Historical Society, um, and let me give you a little bit of context to you. Prior to the Giants and, uh, and Dodgers arrival, uh, the Pacific Coast League was really near a third uh, major league. Yeah. Uh, it was the highest level of baseball that was out on the on the uh, Pacific Coast. Um, and, you know, after 1958, when the Giants and Dodgers moved, obviously that changed. Um, that uh, the, um, you know, the, the classification level, I mean, the classification level stayed the same, but basically, you know, obviously it wasn't the highest level of baseball play on the West Coast afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Still, very, still a huge amount of rich history. So when I was um, actually a, a kid, um, I used to go to the old Pacific Coast League Historical Society um, reunions with my great uncle, like I said, who was a former player, um, and got to know a lot of his old teammates and opponents. Uh, became friends with them, um, and it's always been a just a deep love of mine to keep that rich history alive. Uh, we used to do uh, a lot of reunions um, in person, uh, last few years, some virtual, um, but uh, we also maintain a um, a newsletter, a quarterly newsletter to keep people in the loop on, uh, you know, what's going on um, in the, uh, you know, in the uh, world of Pacific Coast League research. You know, like I said, it's been since 1958, but... Now, every once in a while, people still find some you know, interesting stories or some tidbits uh, that need to be shared with the uh, with the society. So we'll make sure to include that in the, news, the newsletters and get that word out there, make those memories, uh, make sure they stay alive.
0: Zach, whenever I interview an author, I always love to ask the standard question. When you were growing up, who were your favorite authors? And of those favorite authors, did any of them light the spark inside of you to become a writer or perhaps influence your writing style?
1: Absolutely. Um, I would say my favorite baseball book is The Glory of Their Times by Lawrence Ritter. Yeah. Um, And I discovered that as a fairly young baseball fan. And what captivated me about that book was that even though those ballplayers were often 100 years older than me, I was still able to relate to them as human beings. The way Ritter, you know, formatted their stories, it was like I was sitting down and talking to them. And that has always given me a uh, interest or a preference in um, obtaining research, obtaining information from that first person narrative. Because I think that that's far superior uh when you're capturing the feelings and emotions of the story yeah uh, i think uh, a good i think a good writer can paint a good picture but i don't think there's any substitute for the feelings and emotions uh that can be captured in a first person uh narrative absolutely so those so lords Ritter, glory of their times by far uh the number one uh and then also in the 90s there were a lot of old pacific coast league books uh that came out as well and uh you know, probably a half dozen or so of those guys, a different authors that wrote books of the old Pacific Coast League. And I always tend to gravitate toward those guys, too, because I've seen them at the old reunions. And just thought it was kind of cool that, you
0: know, I was friends with people that had written books. So, <laughs> yeah, Zach, please tell our listeners, where can readers find your book?
1: If they go to calledupproject.com, calledupproject.com. Uh, there, I'm going to have uh, links to all the ordering options. Uh, in fact, um, also some uh, social media links as well. Um, so, uh, callitproject.com. They'll be able to uh, find a way to get the book. If you do a Google search, you do it that way too. But <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> pretty easy to find. Yeah.
0: Yep. Zach, please tell our listeners what will your next book project? When will it? What will your next book project be, will be, and when can we expect its release?
1: Well, um, I I've I started to outline a few different projects. Um, one of them would be minor league stories. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely love uh, to hear about uh, some of the journeys that some of these ballplayers went through. Uh, you know, riding the, those minor league buses. Um, there's always some fun, some stories stories uh, there as well. Uh, but one of the things that's always been eating on me at me for uh, many years is I really want to put together a book that's almost memoir-ish. Um, I, as I said earlier, I kind of had an unusual uh, teenage uh, time. I, you know, would go to my uncle's reunions. I got to become friends with a lot of his teammates and opponents interview them so you know i had kind of an unusual teen year um experience where you know even before i drove my dad would take me to these ballplayers homes and we'd go into these homes of guys like frankie Corsetti who was a long time uh long time uh you know yankee and coach with the yankees yes and you know he's telling me stories about babe ruth he's yeah. Walks into the other room, comes back with his 1932 World Series ring. Lets me put it on. Um, you know, things like that. That's kind of a weird childhood, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Most, yeah. I mean, most people in their teens don't get to be friends with people who knew Babe Ruth. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Um, well, you know, there are other guys like Tony Fredes was another guy I got to know, winningest left hand pitcher in my league history. Kind of a dubious, interesting. Uh, record but you know yeah he's telling me he's telling me stories about pitching a babe ruth about you know pitching um a game you know 17 innings him and dizzy dean are going toe to toe yeah, yeah. Um, those types of stories um i'd like to be able to share you know how um those people uh influenced you know who i became as a man um, because as a, as a teenager, you know, you have all your weird insecurities and everything like that, It's a difficult time. And my, I kind of gravitated toward it, gravitated towards baseball and in interviewing mm-hmm. old ball players. And I was just very blessed that a lot of these guys I got to meet and become friends with the last five, 10 years of their lives. Um, and obviously they're long gone now, but I would definitely love to, you know, share their stories, uh, once again.
0: Well, Zach, when if it when it comes out, let me know. I want you on my show again, okay?
1: Absolutely, it sounds great. Thanks so much for having me,
0: Zach. I want to thank you so much for appearing on the show. It's a great honor and a privilege. And I wish you a very, you and your family, a very happy holiday season.
1: Okay? You as well. I hope you have a great one. You too. You take care. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. Bye, bye. Take care. Stay
0: tuned for next week's show where I, where I will be interviewing football author coach Terrence Troop. Thank you and good night.